Well, good morning. Let me start off by saying Kurt and I did not plan our uh, ensemble with his orange pants and my orange sweater. So uh, let me start out by uh, highlighting that and bringing attention to it. Welcome. It's so great to have you. And uh, those of you that are uh, sitting on the ends, and if you have some space in your row, if you wouldn't mind moving over, we're trying to get a few more people in as we, uh, as we kick off this morning. And we're going to dive into this idea of waiting uh, in just a moment. But before we do that, uh, before we dive into our, our series on waiting, uh, I would love for us to actually take a look at a story. We're actually going to be looking in the book of Exodus today. Uh, it's the second book of the Bible, and it really highlights this character, Moses. Maybe you know him from the Prince of Egypt, okay? Uh, and, uh, and, and he has this incredible story of faith. And later on in Moses' life, after they get, you know, through all of these challenges, all these plagues, all of these difficulties, they're in the promised land and they are erecting this tabernacle. They're building this temple for the Lord. And Moses gathers all of the people that were a part of, you know, watching God be faithful, and, and they actually get to build the tabernacle together. They don't bring in, like, all these skilled workers or anything. It's the people of God that, that build this tabernacle for God. And there's this little obscure verse right there in the middle of Exodus 36. And, you know, it, it's not one of these kinds of verses that gets highlighted at churches all that often. And it's talking about uh, the journey. Of, of building the tabernacle. And it says the people, meaning the people that were building this tabernacle, they kept bringing all of these free will offerings, all of these gifts, morning after morning. And then the verse goes on in Exodus 36, 6, and it says this, then Moses literally gave an order. So he had to give an order to the people, and they sent this word throughout the camp. So all of the workers had to hear this. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were literally restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Isn't that a cool verse? It's sort of tucked there in the middle of Exodus, and, and I've read past it so many different times. And as I was looking at it, I thought, can you just imagine if that was the story of Soul City Church? What if that was literally the story that instead of when we get up each week and we say, you know, we're going to receive our offering, if we got up and said, there's too much, there's too much, we've given too much to the work of God. And so my prayer for us, as I've been praying for our church and as I've been listening to God, is that that would literally be our story one day, that we would literally as a people of God, as we've seen God move, that as we give to him each week, and every week we do this, and we do it as a part of our worship because we believe that the resources that God has given to us, that us giving them back to him is an act of worship. It is a way for us to say, thank you, God. I know that you are in control of my life. I may not have every single thing that I want, but I certainly have more than I need, and so I'm going to give back to you. Can you just imagine that if all of us on a regular basis said, I've been given so much, and so therefore I am going to give back. Can you just imagine what God might do with it? And I just want to say to us this morning, um, there are some of you um, that have yet to experience, and I really do mean this, you've yet to experience the exhilarating joy that comes from giving your resources back to God. 
It truly is an exhilarating experience because you get to see God take you on a faith adventure and you get to see him use your resources for unbelievable good. And for those of you that have yet to experience that joy, unashamedly, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you into that adventure. And many of us, we give here, you know, during the service, and it's good for our soul to, you know, to actually let a bucket go past us and to put some money in it or to write a check. And that's how we choose to give. Many of us, you know, we send it in. Some of us, you know, our our choice is to give online. In fact, that's how Jarrett and I do it. And, you know, every other uh, week it gets drafted out of our bank account. In fact, 61% of our church actually does that. We must be a forgetful church. And so that's why we've all set it up. But for those of you that have yet to experience the exhilaration of giving, I really want to invite you to be a part of that. I want to invite you to see God do things in your life and in your resources in a way like you've never seen before. And to those of you that regularly give here, I just wanted to pause before we start our message and before we dive in, you know, deep to God's word to say thank you. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for looking at your resources, not as your own, but as something that God has given to you. And thank you for giving back. Thank you for building this church. You know, just over this past year, somewhat regularly, there's five, six hundred people that come here on a weekend. You know, less than half of that has been funded by you all that call this church your home. It's really amazing. Really amazing. And we just want to say thank you and bless you and thank you for being a part of the work of God. And so if, if, you know, you're stirred today to be a part of that, I encourage you, we even have, you know, a giving kiosk out in the lobby where you can set that up if you want to be one of the forgetful few that, you know, give online. Um, But I just, before we dive in, oftentimes the offering gets lost a little bit. It's sort of, you know, this little thing that we just sort of do in the service. And I wanted to stop and highlight and remind us Wouldn't it be amazing, wouldn't it be amazing if what was said of this church was too much, there's been given too much, may that be what God does in and through us here. So will you pray with me before we uh, dive into the message and then as I get started some blue buckets are going to go past you and we'll multitask and, and dive into our time. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this tiny little obscure moment found in the book of Genesis, or the book of Exodus, excuse me, where your people were so overwhelmed by what you had done in their life, God, that they couldn't, they couldn't restrain themselves from giving to you. They couldn't hold back. And Lord, I pray that we would be so overwhelmed and so aware and so overcome by your goodness that we would need to be restrained from giving God, I pray that you would pour out your generosity on this church. That, God, there would be story upon story upon story who received gifts and blessings, people who were moved by you because of the work of this church. So, God, thank you that we can pause, that we can stop, and in a moment we can be reminded of your goodness. And now, Lord, as we dive into your word this morning and as we open it, God, I am asking that you would help me. 
you would help me to clearly listen to your voice and to deliver the words that you have given me to say. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak and move, encourage, challenge, love, and even convict. We love you so much, God, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, uh, one of my favorite moments, uh, one of the things that I most love about being a parent, and for those of you that are parents, uh, is that moment when you try to figure out what your child is thinking about. Uh, it's, it's a great moment. In fact, there's a couple in our church, Zach and Beth. They've been here from the beginning. They're so faithful. They just had their second child, and uh, Drew is back there with, with them. And I was just looking at Drew, and he's, you know, a few weeks old, what, you know, three or four weeks or something like that. And I was just looking at him down in his little carrier, you know, all like cozied in there, just perfectly swaddled in. You know, I'm thinking, what on earth is Drew thinking about? Like, what's running through his mind? What's, what's he contemplating? You know, and I, I love thinking about that with my kids because kids, their imagination is so full, isn't it? When you get around a child, I mean, they're so bright and they have so many ideas. And, and I love being around a child because you never know what they're thinking about, but, but they're always contemplating something. And ever since our son Elijah, who's our oldest, he's six now, ever since he was probably around two years of age, he was, he was so interested in what it would be like to one day be a man. And so he would constantly tell us, when I'm a man, here's what I'm going to do. And so he, you know, all throughout the years, he's had, you know, these different things on the list of, you know, what he was going to do when he became a man. And, you know, one of them was, I'm going to ride a two-wheel bike. He can do that now, so I'm not sure if he considers himself a man. Um, Recently, he told me when he becomes a man, he's going to be the president. So I don't know if he's, like, already trying to get on somebody's ticket right now. Uh, Another one, uh, for a while, he was fascinated with watching Jarrett shave. And so he said, when I'm a man, I'm going to shave. In fact, this is him when he was two years old. We caught him. He snuck into our bathroom and found Jarrett's shaving cream. It came out and was like, I'm shaving. And, uh, and, and now this is another one that I'm going to try and tell this story very appropriately. And so you're going to need to hang with me. But, you know, whenever parents are potty training their child, if their son, uh, you know, is working through it in one way, they eventually want to be able to re- relieve themselves in a standing up position. And, um, and so I was working with Elijah on potty training and trying to, you know, help him to, you know, no longer, you know, choose a diaper as his option, but to, you know, actually be potty trained one day. And, and he's like, Mom, one day I'm going to do it. I'm going to be able to stand when I do it. And... Um, I will never forget, I will never forget some friends of ours, this is when we were living in Atlanta, some friends of ours gave us a ticket, uh, a few tickets to go see the Braves game. And so we were there at the Braves game, and we were watching the game and all that kind of stuff, and Elijah's like, Daddy, i got to go potty. And so they went into the bathroom. I was not in there. Jared just told the story to me. And so he's in there, and there's only one option, okay? You can only relieve yourself standing up, from what I understand. And, and so, you know, Elijah had to go, and so Jared was like, here's your options. So, you know, this is what you're going to have to do. And so he did it. And he was so excited in the moment. He was like, Daddy, I must be a man now, and announced it to all of the men 
in the, uh, in the gentleman's facility. I'm not sure what they were thinking was really happening in that moment, but kids can't wait. Kids can't wait to be able to do things that they can't do in the present moment. They're always anticipating what I'm going to be when I grow up. And I'm sure for many of us in this room, you might actually be able to describe your life in a similar way. You're waiting to get around the corner of your present so that you can arrive in the future. Perhaps you find yourself in a phase of life where you seem to be wondering when that thing right around the corner is going to happen. Because when we're, when we're hoping for something, we're thinking it's just right around the corner, aren't we? Maybe it has to do with the job for you. And you've been wondering, you know, when is that, that right job going to come into play? Or, or when am I going to get a better job? And you're thinking it's got to be just right around the corner. Or maybe it has to do with, with a friendship. And you've been so hopeful. You know, I'm so tired of just sort of the, the chit-chat conversation. And I feel like all my friendships are just sort of here on the surface. And I long to be able to do life with some people where these are true friendships and we can journey with one another. And you've been waiting for that friendship to happen. You hope that it's right around the corner. Or maybe it has to do with a relationship. And you almost feel a little silly thinking about it. You sort of don't even necessarily want anyone to really know that this is your thought, but in some ways you're thinking, gosh, I, I'm not sure if my life has really started until I have a person, until I have a partner to journey with. And you're so hoping that God has someone right around the corner for you. Maybe it has to do with starting a family, or, or maybe it has to do with a prayer that you've been praying for so long. Maybe it's for a person or something in your family, and you literally, you feel like you've been praying this prayer like it's like breathing. You've been praying it so long, and you're wondering, when is the answer to that prayer? Is it, is it right around the corner, God, please? And we hope for that thing or that job or that friend, or that spouse, or that unanswered prayer. And what we are doing when we are hoping for that thing is called waiting. And for the most part, I don't think a single one of us likes it. When we are in that season, all we want to do is get out of it, isn't it? And yet, and yet, this is sort of how we have walked through life. You think even about our culture and you think about how we journey through life. You think about even our growing up and how we do school even. You think about a child that's in grade school. They can't wait to get to middle school because in middle school they're going to have a locker, right? You think about a child that's in middle school. They can't wait to get to high school because in high school, sooner or later, they're going to give me a driver's license and I'm going to have true freedom, right? When they get into high school, they can't wait to get to college because they think in their minds they're going to go to a school where they can study what they really want. Then they get to college and they realize they don't really study what they really want to study in college, right? And so then they make that decision, okay, I'm going to go to graduate school. Then I can really study what I want to write. And when I get out of graduate school, I'm going to land a great job. And then when they land that great job at TGI Friday's waiting tables, they say to themselves, how is it that I have a graduate degree and I'm waiting tables at TGI Friday's? And then they start thinking, I'm going to get a better job and a better boss and I'm going to make more money. And all along the way, they start thinking to themselves, you know, maybe, maybe there'll be a person that God will, you know, put in my path and I'll be able to, to journey through life with them. 
and I'll have this partner. And then they get this partner, and they get married, and, and then they realize, like, okay, well, maybe we should add some people to this union. And they have some kids, and they're so excited about those kids, and those, those kids grow up, and then those kids get into middle school, and they think, when are these kids going to leave? <laughs> and then those kids leave, and they think, when are those kids going to come back? I miss those kids. And when are those kids going to find somebody? And when are those kids going to have some kids of their own? And we're constantly in this motion of the next thing. And you can literally comb the scriptures. You can look from cover to cover in this book. And there is not a single person that had a significant experience with God that was not in a season of waiting. Noah, he waited quite some time for a flood to be over, didn't he? Daniel, he waited in a den of lions wondering if he was going to be rescued. Joseph, he waited in a prison over a crime that he didn't even commit. Sarah and Abraham, they waited for years for a child. Jacob, he waits and he works for the true love of his life. Rebecca, the Israelites, they wait in Egypt to be freed from Pharaoh. And then once they get out, they wait in a desert for 40 more years. David, he waited in a cave for Saul's army to leave. Jonah waited in the belly of a whale. Mary waited for nine months with the Son of God in her womb. Simeon waited his entire life so that he could see the Messiah. Mary and Martha wonder and wait if Jesus, is he going to come and is he going to raise our brother Lazarus back from the dead? The sick and the crippled and the diseased, they wait and they hope for Jesus to come to their town to heal them. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, even waits in the garden and pleads with God for another way other than the cross. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, they wait and they wonder, is Jesus going to be raised from the dead? Paul waits after being blinded on the Damascus road, wondering, am I ever going to see again? And the book of Revelation literally ends with every single one of us waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. This book, any significant moment of transformation, there is a season of waiting. So obviously, God is quite okay with waiting, isn't he? The problem is, we are not. In fact, if we're honest, if we're really being honest, it almost seems like God is not just okay with waiting. If we're being honest, it almost feels like he likes it, doesn't he? And waiting is one of the greatest tensions that exist between God and his people. Because God is just fine with waiting. And we are not. And when you dig deeper into each of the moments when God allows someone to sit, when he lovingly allows someone to sit in a posture of waiting, even though they're waiting, something is happening. Something is always happening when God invites us to wait. Friends, God does not see waiting 
as this non-active sitting still. God does not see waiting as a neutral. God sees waiting through the lens of something deeply active and transformational taking place. But to us, it just feels like we're stuck, doesn't it? Like we're not moving anywhere. We want God to act now, to change our circumstances, to bring us a spouse today, to fix our job, to fix our finances, to fix our families, to change our friendships. He wants us to do, we want him to do all of those things without us ever having to wait. We want God to jump when we pray for something, and if God doesn't, we start to wonder, did he hear us? Do I need to speak up? Was he not paying attention to my prayer? But could it be? Could it be that God has us in waiting for a very specific reason? You see, we see waiting as this horrible in-between from where we are to where we want to go. But when we learn to truly wait upon the Lord, to truly wait upon the Lord, we experience We experience the present moment as one of the greatest gifts that God can give to us. That something transformational is happening in the middle of our stillness. That in our present, God is not looking for us to go back to the past and he's not even all that overly concerned with our future, but he wants to meet with us right in the present moment. That God is right here, right now, in the middle of our waiting. And I've come to find that when God has us waiting, as he has walked me through over and over and over again, walked me in and out of seasons of waiting, that God never, never has his children wait without the opportunity of fulfilling his purpose and without a promise. You see, when God waits, he will always, always fulfill his promise. And when God waits, it's always for a purpose. When God waits, he will always fulfill his promise. And when God waits, it's always for a purpose. I want to invite you to dive into uh, Exodus 13 with me. We're just looking at this story of Moses. In fact, it's found on page 48 in the Bibles that are uh, right around you. And we were talking about this, this great character, this man of God, Moses, right? And God led him through all of these incredible experiences. And there's a, there's a moment found in Exodus 13. And God has just invited Moses to lead his people who had been held prisoner of Egypt and Pharaoh for so many years. And God has been saying for so long, I have a promise, I have a promise. In fact, he even referred to it as, I have a promised land for you. And they're about to have that awesome moment, right? That awesome moment where where Moses puts his staff in the Red Sea and it gets parted, right? It's an incredible moment. Movies are made about it. It's real. And they have this moment here in Exodus 13, and it says this, verse 17. When Pharaoh, who he had eventually let the people go, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. 
though that would have been shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds, and they might actually go back to what was worse. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Two little verses packed into this story. And even though the road through the Philistine country would have been so much faster, it even says right here in the passage, it was a shorter path, right? God knew. God knew that in order to fulfill his promise, he could not take them on the short route. In order for God's promise to be accomplished in his people's life, he could not take them to that promise through the short route. They had to go around. Because had they gone through the short route, they would have certainly faced death, wouldn't they? God had a purpose in taking them the long way around. To them, it probably just felt like just what the text says. To them, it probably just felt like they were on a desert road. How many of us have, have ever been in waiting and it just feels like we are on a desert road? I know I have been there. And my hunch is the, the people of God probably in that moment, we don't see it in the text, but they're probably like, hey, I know a shorter route, God. Moses, just go straight on through. We'll get there way faster. And I wonder how many times we pray those kinds of prayers to God. Listen, God, you're busy. you got a lot going on. You just take me right through here. God, I see my future. I know exactly where I need to go. God, here's the best route for me. And when we pray, we almost tell God, here's the route that I want you to take me. God, here's what I want you to do. But the root of waiting was the route that God needed to take his people on. Because that's where he could most fulfill his promise and reveal his purpose. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a friend going through a season of waiting, or maybe you yourself have been on a season of waiting, and you've been in that situation where you're like, God, I just, I need something. I mean, I've been waiting, or my friend, my friend has been waiting so long, like, God, you've got to give me something. I need like a verse, something, Lord. Like, this, this is terrible. This is so hard. And I don't know if you've ever been combing and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, and you're like, that's it. I mean, God, he's got to have something, right? And you're like, listen, friend, I have got a word for you. <laughs> and you just quote out Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, remember, friends, this is it. For I know the plans I have for you. See, God has a plan for you. And his plans, the Lord declares it. They're for you to prosper. Prospering, it's coming. You know, and you, you like tell them, nothing's going to harm you. You have a hope. You have a future. And you find yourself and you're like, you're just delivering this word. You're like doing a little message there in Starbucks, you know, trying to encourage your friend. You're going to make it. Friends, I don't know if you have ever read the verse right before. Jeremiah 29, 11. This is what the word of God says. When 70 years, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you 
and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Seventy years. Seventy years are completed. It was a 70-year plan. A whole lifetime would pass before those who received the promise would actually experience the promise. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel frustrated when God doesn't answer my prayers in a week. When seven days go by, I'm like, seriously, Lord, I've been praying this. And the thing that we need to cling to, the hope that we need to be reminded of, is that God was not without a promise, was he? And he was not without a plan. You know, Jarrett mentioned last week that we went on a family road trip. Um, and uh, one of the consistent questions that our children asked us on this road trip, um, literally the question began like the second we pulled out of Chicago. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Maybe you've been in a, in a car with a child that asked that question. Maybe if you were to really be honest about your life, you were asking that question yourself. God, am I there yet? And we're not all that much different in our desires. We have a hard time seeing that any good could come from us having to wait for something. You see, quick and easy, those two words, they have become these magical words, and they have a ton of seductive power, don't they? We want instant results for everything. Our world functions on finding the right technique to get what we want and to get it quickly. So for many of us, we've taken this exact same philosophy and we've just sort of put it on God, haven't we? God, we just want you to be quick and we want you to make it easy. We just want you to do this quickly and to make it easy. We literally have asked God to give us a microwave spirituality. We look for the right spiritual trick or we look for the right spiritual book or we look for just the right small group or just the right worship experience or maybe I didn't feel God at this church so I'm going to just hop around to this church and then I'm going to go over here and then I'm going to go over here and we just start looking like, God, if you could just make it easier for me. And none of those things, friends, those are not bad. It is great. It is great to read. It is great to be in small groups. It is great to be in church. But to ask God to make it quick and to make it easy, we will not experience the impact of true transformation because true transformation comes when we wait upon the Lord. When we wait upon the Lord, that is when we taste true, true transformation. The amazing thing is, is that God has never and will never function in time the same way that you and I do. Because here's the thing. God doesn't know time the way you and I do. The last time I checked, God was never running late on anything. God has never been hurried. God has never been overwhelmed. God is God. God is in control. And he is fine to take his time because he knows that in time, When we wait upon the Lord, we taste true transformation. See, when God waits, he doesn't only fulfill his promise. It is always with a purpose in mind. 
And oftentimes that purpose is our transformation. But we have to become very okay with being still and knowing that God is God. Psalm 4610, we just put it up in the entrance of the prayer hall a couple weeks ago. Be still. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. It could not be more simple and yet complicated in the same breath, right? Oh, we struggle with this. And the reason we struggle is because we don't always understand the purpose for our waiting. We don't always understand what God is doing out here when we're over here. I can honestly say that there have been so many days when I have honestly not understood this part of God, where I've just wanted him to to see time the way I see time, where I've wanted him to just sort of lay out the exact like strategic plan of my life, and I'll just say, God, seriously, you just give me the plan, I'll follow it. This not knowing is so difficult. I'll, I'll never forget when we first were moving to Atlanta. In that process, we were praying and we were asking, okay, God, you know, I, we sense that you're asking us to move. We sense that you're asking us to take this, this journey to go and follow you. And there's parts of it that are scary to us, but we sense that you're asking us to do this. We were leaving a, a great church and we were going to a new church that was also great, but it was scary to us. And I had a job that I loved I had been around people that I had, you know, been with for so long. And so they knew me and I knew them. And, and everything about our life felt so good. And so I was like, God, I really, I need to know that this is you that's leading us to do this. And I felt like I knew that, you know, God was saying yes and he was telling us to go. But in the middle of the waiting, it was really hard. And once we got there, after about three or four months, even though I knew that God had invited us to go, and even though I knew that we were supposed to be there, it got really hard. And that job that I thought was going to be worked out, it, it wasn't all as great as I thought it was going to be. And I was really missing people that knew me well. I felt like everybody was sort of a stranger to me. At a six-month-old, and he was crying a lot, and I didn't really know why he was crying and what to do, and I didn't know who to ask. And it was one of those seasons where I was just like, God, are you sure? <laughs> like, are you sure this is what you were doing? Because I just feel like I'm stuck here in the middle of Georgia. And sure, I don't have winter anymore, but God, I'm, I, I mean, this is really hard. This is really, really hard. And, and if it were up to me, God, I would really like for you to just sort of fast forward this season here. I'd love for you to just sort of push me past whatever it is that you're trying to teach me and I'll learn the lesson God I'll just try and learn it really quickly but if you could just push me out of this waiting that would be really really great and I felt that um, sort of prompting and that whisper um, from God and he said you know I want you to go back and I want you to look at your journals I want you to read through some of the prayers that you wrote down before I sent you to Atlanta and I found this prayer um, that I had written, and it said literally this. I took it out of my journal and copied it into my notes. I had written, God, 
I desperately need to hear from you. I want to live in your rhythms, not my own. I want to be gutsy enough to follow you. I want to be faithful enough to trust you. I want to be honest enough to confess my deepest sin. And I want to be hopeful enough to believe that you have a new genesis, a new beginning for me. I want to be patient enough to wait for you. And I saw that written in my journal, and I was like, oh, man, I hope I wrote this in pencil because I want to erase this as quick as I can. I was so frustrated that I had actually written it down, that there was proof of me inviting this into my life, that I literally said, God, I want to be patient enough to wait for you. All I wanted to do was to try and erase that prayer from my life because now I was in the middle of waiting. And all I wanted to do was get out of it. And in that season of my life, and this is still a practice that I I tend to do sometimes, every once in a while while I'm praying and I'm writing out my prayers, I will sense that the Lord will start to whisper to me. And I'll just start to write down thoughts that are not my own that I believe are coming from him as if he was speaking to me. I don't believe that these were his, you know, necessarily like, Jeannie, pen this down, you know? But this is what I sensed the Lord was whispering to me in that moment. And I wrote this prayer in my journal right after I had prayed those words. And I wrote, Jeannie, I have a future marked for you. It does not have the same tones or themes that these past 10 years have had. The the past 10 years, there has been much brokenness, much transformation, and you are not the same person that you were 10 years ago. I have brought you through maturity, and I'm giving you wisdom. You were once quite ambitious and self-seeking, and I don't want that to be a part of your makeup anymore. And you can go and you can dig up those old characteristics and you can try them back on, but Jeannie, they won't fit right and you will be grossly uncomfortable. The new day that I have for you is not about proving yourself. It's not about gaining position. You don't need to fight those battles for yourself. Don't get me wrong. This is not going to be easy. But I am keeping you in the corner in this next season. I'm keeping you in the corner for this next season. And when the bell sounds in your life, I will step out into the ring. Jeannie, I need you to trust me in your waiting. Friends, what I can't explain to you was I was praying that prayer four years before I ever knew about this church. Four years before I ever knew about the kind of leadership that God was going to invite me into. Four years before I ever knew about the kinds of challenges that I would have to walk through. And God knew that I needed to wait in a corner. I needed to wait in a corner. He needed to prepare me. He needed to soften me. He needed to do some brokenness in me. And he needed me to be willing enough, patient enough to wait on him because he did want to fulfill his promise. 
He does want to fulfill his promise. And he had a purpose. And he does have a purpose. And some of you feel like you are literally in a corner. You are in this season of waiting. And all you want to do, all you want to do is get out of it as quick as you can. Friends, I understand that. I understand that corner. But you need to hear this today. God has not left you. He has not left you in that corner. You are not alone. He has a promise and he has a purpose. And it is within his plan. In that season, I came upon a book by a woman named Sue Monk Kidd. It's called When the Heart Waits. And I wrote this down. And it was in my journal during that season. And I still go back to it quite regularly when God walks me in and out of seasons of waiting. And she says this, Transformations come only, they come only as we go the long way around. Only as we're willing to walk a different, longer, more arduous, more inward, more prayerful route. When you wait, you are deliberately, deliberately choosing to take the long way. To go eight blocks instead of four, trusting that there is a transforming discovery lying along the way. And left to myself, I have never, ever, ever chosen eight blocks instead of four. If I can get somewhere in four blocks, I always choose four. But there is something in those extra four blocks where God often wants to reveal his promise and wants to reveal his purpose because he always has a plan. He always has a plan. And some of us here today are in a very real season of waiting. And my question to you today is, will you hold your hands open to the Lord and will you say, I will, I will wait upon the Lord. I will wait upon the Lord. I am okay to wait, God, because I know that in my waiting, you are fulfilling your promise, and it is not without a purpose and not without a plan. And we're going to come and we're going to contemplate a loving God that paid a very real death for you and for me so that in our waiting, we would not be alone. We're going to come to the communion table here in a moment. We're going to come to a God that knows our hearts, that knows our circumstances, and wants to enter into our waiting with us. And we come, we come because Jesus told us to. He told us that oftentimes we would forget, we would forget what he has done. We would forget his goodness. We would forget his sacrifice. We would forget his love and we would forget his grace. And so he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember me and I want you to remember me often. And especially to those of us in this room today that find yourself in waiting, come to the table and remember that God is so very, very good. Even in our waiting, he is so very, very good. He has promises for your life and purposes and plans.
And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to both sides of the communion table. If you would prefer a gluten-free option, you can come over here to the left. And you're going to just rip off a piece of bread and dip it into the cup as a way of remembering our Lord Jesus' death and as a way of remembering that in our waiting, we are not alone. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this truth today. And God, I... I'm so grateful, God, for the different seasons that you have walked me through. I'm so grateful for the moments in my life where you have literally taken me on the long way around. And God, I so wanted, I so wanted to just be on the shortest route. And I'm so grateful for what you taught me in that long way around. I'm so grateful for the ways that you transformed me. I'm so grateful for the ways that you changed me. And Father, for my friends in this room here today that are smack dab in the middle of a season of waiting, I pray your grace and your love. I pray that you would make them so aware of your promises. I pray that they would be reminded in a tangible way today, God, as they take communion, that you are a God that always has a purpose. You are God that always has a plan. And that in our waiting, we experience the blessing of being dependent on you. And so, Father, in our stillness, we claim that you are our God. And we trust you. And we love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior.